Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and my guest for this morning is Mark Pillon. He is the executive director of Susan G. Coleman, Los Angeles County, California. Since 1995, the Los Angeles County affiliate of Susan G. Coleman has raised over $12 million to provide community-based grants to local organizations offering crucial breast health and breast cancer services and help fund cutting-edge breast cancer research. A significant focus of their program has been to assist uninsured and underinsured women under 40 and men with breast cancer symptoms, access needed diagnostic testing and treatment. Through Coleman Advocacy Action, the state of California Department of Public Health now has a diagnostic program for these women and men. Presently, the emphasis is patient navigation from diagnosis, treatment, post-treatment care, and decisive support services. Susan G. Coleman, Los Angeles County, is the only organization in L.A. County that exclusively dedicates all efforts to combating breast cancer on every front. Their mission is to save lives and end breast cancer forever. Mark and I will be having a conversation about his remarkable life's journey, breast cancer, and the challenges of breast cancer patients, survivors, and metastatic breast cancer drivers due to COVID-19. Good morning, Mark. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, Johnny. Thank you so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate it in this month. Fantastic. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. Let us get started by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Uh, let's see. Well, from childhood. Born in Cleveland, Ohio, way before there were personal computers, Facebook, and social media. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, like we played in the yard in the dirt on a farm, so uh, it was a, it was a I was raised out in the country, um, mm-hmm. in the Midwest, and then um, moved to uh, Georgia. Went to University of Georgia, uh, and and uh, prior to that, I was I went through uh, two years of uh, radiology school so I could become an X-ray technician, mm-hmm. uh, and um, then moved out to California in 1977. And uh, I have been here ever since. Met my beautiful wife, Tina. Uh, we have three adult children and three beautiful grandchildren. And I've uh, spent uh, the last 20 plus years of my life working professionally in the uh, nonprofit world. Uh, wasn't on my radar. Wasn't something I planned on doing. I was in. Uh, I had had my own businesses and had been in uh, in a couple of other careers prior to that. But they were all in management and, and, and upper management with uh, uh, positions where I, I had good-sized staffs and I was serving a, a, a broad audience. So uh, I, I got into this in, um, hmm, what was it, uh, I think about um, 83, 84, and I've loved it ever since. I started off serving on different boards and things like that and uh, boards of directors. And then I became a, an employee of the Make-A-Wish Foundation in 
2001. And I, um, I, I guess I was, I was kind of brought up to know that um, we may not have had a tremendous amount. I'm one of eight mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. So uh, needless to say, my parents had to stretch the dollar pretty, pretty far. But when it came to my parents' worldview was that um, there were always people that were that had less than us or that had situations that were more challenging than us. And so they were always about uh, making sure that we took care of other people that needed it. And, um, you know, the Pilon kids were the ones that helped clean the church so, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and all those things that helped the nuns and everything. So they, they just kind of raised us to, to be aware of the fact that there were others that were were – I don't want to say less fortunate, but as deserving as you, and you should help them reach their goals as far as being deserving. Very, very interesting. Hey, going back to SEC, University of Georgia, I mean, maybe that's that bulldog spirit that's in you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I still have a lot of family that lives in uh, in Athens, Georgia. And, uh, really? And, and, and love it. Yeah, yeah. I've got nieces and nephews and, and things like that that live there. Uh, interesting. We're rivals now because I'm with LSU Tigers there. <laughs> uh huh. Okay. Well, <clears throat> there goes the next hour. <laughs> Completely understand where you're coming from an affinity standpoint of view to causes because I grew up in Malaysia. And one of the things that I really appreciate the fact that, and this goes back to good parenting, I guess, where as kids, we're taught to be very mindful about the needs of others and whenever yeah. we can to give rather than to take in other words. So that's very interesting. And I'm really glad you shared that thoughts with us in terms of how you were brought up and being able to think about others. There's always going to be someone better than us or ahead of us. Believe it or not, there's going to be someone always behind us. And what are we going to do about it? Yeah. And then, the way my the way my parents raised us, uh, I can give you a quick example. One of the things that my mother did one time, mm-hmm. I was about um, sixteen, and she told me to invite this young gentleman home from school mm-hmm. uh, for dinner. And I'm like, oh, please don't make me do that. I said, I'm not cool, but he's like, way not cool. You know, I was not one of the cool kids. And right. um, she said, I want you to have him over for dinner. And I said, I don't even know him that well. Mm-hmm. And she said, you will. So I I reluctantly asked him over for dinner, and then. Uh, he was really, really happy coming to our house. And and so we sat there through dinner, and, and I the more I got to talk to him and stuff like that, I mean, I, I'd known this kid for like six or seven years, but yeah. he never got close to him. And right. um, so anyway, you know, I we had a nice dinner and, and, and talked and everything else, and, and then I drove him home, and I came back and I asked my mother, I said, what was the point of this? You know, I, I don't mm-hmm. get it. And she said, well, what did you think? And I said, well, he's, he's a nice enough guy. I said, you know, I just, he's not somebody that I hang with. That's all. And mm-hmm. um, I said, why did you want him to come over? And she said, because his father beats the, the Jesus out of his mother and about, yeah. out of all those kids. He needs somebody to care about him. He needs right. somebody to be a, a friend to him. She goes, and I want you to take on that job. And wow. so that was one of the things where, you know, it, it, it kind of, was a stark reality. We we grew up in a family of strictly the. Did we get a couple of whoopings in our life? Probably got mm-hmm, our, our butts mm-hmm. banged a couple of times. Right. But my my parents were were loving, loving, loving people, and they they taught us to that that loving and serving is is important in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
that's how I started looking at what's somebody's backstory. You know, yeah. and if you don't know the backstory, you 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 can't you can't make a judgment or or or, or really understand what they're going through. And I never knew his backstory. And then once I right. learned it, I was like, man, how could a dad hit a mother? Man, how could a dad hit their kids? You know, and right, like that. Right. And it just it it made me appreciate who he was as a young man. Completely different from from what I'd ever conceived that I could do. That's true. So true. Is that how you develop your affinity for causes? I probably, I I would say probably because I you know we we always did that throughout our life and and um, my mother and dad felt that if you may not have if you didn't have the money then you better make some time right uh, to help somebody else and right. I think that's where I I learned how to do that plus we were a big family. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we learned how to take care of each other. Uh, there were the four oldest ones of us and then the four youngest ones. So the four oldest ones helped get the four youngest ones ready for church. We learned how mm-hmm. to take care of each other and take care of other people's needs, even within our own family, uh, mm-hmm. from a very early age. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. All of, all of those things in, in combination are what really, uh, really made us – my mm-hmm. dad used to say – there is nobody better than you, but you're not better than anybody else either. Right, right, right. So you true. have different stations in life. You may have different incomes in life, but when it comes down to the end game, uh, and we're all standing up there and 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 being looked at by somebody else by in our in our family, we are uh, we're Catholics, and then when you're looked at being looked at by God, it doesn't. It, I I heard that old story. He doesn't care what you have or anything else. Mm-hmm. Years and years and years and years ago, that that's not what it was about. That's not what the end game was. So true. So when did you discover your leadership tendencies? Um, I don't know if I discovered them. I think. <laughs> I, I no, I I don't. I think that they were they were noticed by others that I worked for and worked with. Uh huh. And then I I think when I look back. It started because I was a middle child, and I was the one that was always like trying to fix the relationships between the older one and the younger one, and things like oh, that. Wow. But mm-hmm. you know, I I I was the I was the fix it guy for everybody, and I, I would get them you know over each other and you know just to get over themselves and start talking again and things like that. And that's before I even started in in really large management positions. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because my my mantra in life, and this is in conjunction with the way my parents raised us, because mm-hmm. there are quite a few of the eight of us that were all in, have leadership positions in various uh, industries. Mm-hmm. And that's that the most important thing is to love and, and, and serve. Mm-hmm. And I think the best leaders are not the, the boss that's whipping everybody into shape. It's not the the guy that's, uh, that, that's just leading people, but it's the guy that is looking at his, staff and at his corporation and all those people that work with him mm-hmm. or her or for them and say, mm-hmm. what can I do to make your, your job better? What can I do to make your world better? Mm-hmm. What can I do to make this better for you? And I think mm-hmm. that's a, a, a leadership quality. And that's kind of the leadership model that I try to, to follow. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it by any stretch of the imagination. I'm sure if you ask my staff, they'd go, well, that's, <laughs> he, he certainly has a lofty opinion of himself. <laughs> but that's my effort. We haven't had any call in yet. Like, say, oh, wait a minute, I want to. 
<laughs> let, me, let me correct his over over uh, yeah. over jealous uh, idea of who he is. But I really do. I try to I try to serve my 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 staff and the people that I serve sure. to say what can I do sure. to make you your life better, your journey better. Um, you know, maybe not. I can't fix everything, but if if I can do something to affect your work life, then it'll bleed into other parts of your life. And that's what's important is to love and to serve. So true, so true. What was the most rewarding experience for you when you were with Make-A-Wish Foundation? Um, it took me a long time to learn this, Johnny. I was there almost 10 years, and I, I realized yeah. probably about seven years in, and then uh, it stuck with me ever since, is that the most rewarding experience to me was I got to know the end user. I got to know those kids. I, uh, people used to ask me, how can, you, how can you do that? Because, yes, we would lose kids every year. Mm-hmm. That we had, you know, that we, we had become uh, fond of, and I would just simply say that I, I had a brother, my my older brother. One time, I was on the phone with him, and he's he's mm-hmm. uh, Wall Street and, and finances and all this stuff has done beautifully in life. And I was on the phone with him, and this little kid ran in, Trevor, and I will I will remember this to the the day I die. And I had I just put the phone down. Because Trevor came in and he goes, Mark, Mark, Mark. And he had drawn a picture for me. Mm-hmm. So his grandparents brought him in. And he came in and I got a hug. And we sat and talked for a minute about the thing. But I had to get back to my brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, my brother used to tease me all the time and say, how can you work for such a bleeding heart organization? You know, this yeah. isn't that hard. So anyway, yeah. little Trevor left. And I picked the phone, uh, the phone back up. And I said, did you hear that? And he said, yeah. I said, with with your money and uh, with your success, I said, you'll mm-hmm. never have this in your office. <laughs> you'll never get that. I yeah. said, because that that's the thing that counts. I got to know the end user. I got to know these kids. And when people would ask me, how can you possibly do this? It doesn't it hurt. Right. And I'd say, hey, I, I get to fall in love 200 times a year. Right, right, right. You know, what's what what's bad about that? And the only way that you know you... You only hurt because you do. You love somebody and you care about them. So no, I don't find this a strain. I don't find this a hard thing to do. I love what I get to do. Mark, you hit on a perfect scenario here where, interestingly enough, people don't realize that, but the people that you run into, especially like in the Make-A-Wish Foundation, the expression they do, they exert, are truly genuine. We all tend to be guarded. So we have this little facade. You know what I'm talking about? But yeah. when this kids or adults, what you see is what you get. It's from the heart. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and, and who doesn't love being around, uh, around children? And I'll, yeah. I'll tell you something else, Johnny, and this is the honest to God's truth. Kids taught me so much because I think that kids that are going through life-threatening illnesses yeah. wind up with a wisdom. They, they don't know that everybody doesn't get chemo on Wednesday. Right. It's like, oh, everybody does that. You know, well, no, everybody right, doesn't. Right. But yeah. they, they had such strength and such resilience and, and things that it used, I was just in awe of these children mm-hmm. about, about the, the lessons that they could teach all of us about how to just get over yourself and, 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 and deal with <laughs> daily problems because they did. Right. And if they right. could do it, I sure as hell could do it. Right. You know. So true. So true. 
Why did you decide to become the executive director for Susan G. Komen, L.A. County affiliate? Um, it was really, I, I, I had a friend that was on the board of directors for Komen, and uh, she had run the Make-A-Wish in L.A. And when their, uh, their uh, executive director left rather uh, quickly, they were, they were looking for an interim. And at the time, I had already left Make-A-Wish because I, uh, I had kind of gotten to the point where I was just a maintenance guy. And I like to mm-hmm. – I'm a builder mm-hmm. and a fixer. I like to roll up my mm-hmm. sleeves and, and get into something. And uh, so Paulette called me, and she said, we need some help. We need an interim. Do you uh, – because I, I had a consulting uh, mm-hmm. thing at the time. She said, do you have some time? And I said, I, I do. So I went up, and I, I talked to them. And I became the interim uh, ED until they were looking for somebody. And about, oh, about eight, ten months after I had been the interim ED, I finally went to the board and I said, look, if you're going to look for somebody else, because I didn't see any activity, I said, let me know. If you want me to have this job, let Mm -hmm. me know. Mm -hmm. So uh, they did, and they asked me to come on. And it was an important um, thing to me because – all the way back from when I became an x-ray technician and I went into University of Georgia, I wanted to go into nuclear medicine mm-hmm. and cure the world of cancer because my godmother, who was extremely important to me, and uh, one of my other aunts had already died of breast cancer, but my godmother was my world. And I didn't want anybody to ever have to suffer through what she suffered through. And so that's why I went into x-ray first and radiology and then and then started in, a, in like a pre-med program and uh, mm-hmm. and, and was over at, at UVA. But, um, yeah, I had I had women that were very, very close to me. The the woman that actually introduced me, who was the chairman of the Board of Make-A-Wish Foundation at the time in Orange County, uh, Marsha, was very, very, very dear to me. Probably my best female friend next to my wife. <laughs> and um, Marsha died of breast cancer way before uh, I was with Coleman. And um, and then the week I was actually interviewing my wife's best friend, Betty died of breast cancer. So it was something that was already very, very near to me and dear to me mm-hmm. and that I had seen the results of. I mean, when my godmother was going through hers, I learned how to give her morphine shots when I was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And I spent every waking moment that I could with her on weekends and everything else whenever I could because I just adored her. So that's, that's what, when they when I got this invitation, yeah. it was kind of like this big. What I wanted to start doing yeah. when I was seventeen years old, and then here I was, way past seventeen, <laughs> <laughs> by quite a few well, decades. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and 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 uh, and taking on this job, and it was just like wow, I get to mm-hmm. honor her every single day. Right, in what I right. do. That's fascinating. That's a beautiful story. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, MixCloud, Podchasers, Listen Notes, and Hop Hop. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Mark Pillon. He is the Executive Director for Susan G. Coleman, Los Angeles County, California. Since 1995, the Los Angeles County affiliate of Susan G. Komen has raised over $12 million to provide community-based grants to local organizations offering crucial breast health and breast cancer services and help fund cutting-edge breast cancer research. 
We're having a conversation about his remarkable life's journey, breast cancer and the challenges of breast cancer patients, survivors, and metastatic breast cancer drivers due to COVID-19. Mark, please tell us about Susan G. Coleman's LA County's current initiative and 2021 plans. Um, make money, spend it on women for breast health. Uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's our big plan. Uh, yeah. Some of our initiatives that we, we utilize to, to do that is we have a, a thing, uh, one program called Circle of Promise, which is dedicated to the African-American uh, community and the mm-hmm. women in, uh, in that community. Um, and it's really to facilitate mammography and, and, and things like that, but it's, it goes way beyond that with uh, education and, uh, and help along with our TAP program, which is the Treatment Assistance Program. Now, that was a, a smaller phase program for us for a long time, and we have now uh, taken that program with our national organization. We kind of doubled down on it and mm-hmm. really, really are are concentrating on the treatment assistance program. And that's the program that helps provide rent and utilities and medications and, and actual um, medical devices uh, mm-hmm. that women may need. Um uh, to help with all kinds of things because of the, our, that's part of our reaction to COVID is there are so many people, you know, life was a struggle for those going through the journey in the first right. place prior right. to COVID. And uh, with, with the, all the tremendous layoffs and unemployment, um, you know, we, we want to make their journey as, yeah, make it pleasant, but we want to make their journey as, as stress-free and as, as worrisome-free as possible so we can we can really help out financially, and you know no woman should have to sit there and decide to put her own life on the back burner and her own mm-hmm. medication on the back burner because they need to have food or or, or pay the rent. That's just is, that's just is is not good. Um, right. You know, what kind of care you get shouldn't be dependent on what you have in your wallet this week. It really shouldn't be. If you're if you need to have your chemo treatment. And you have to pay a deductible, then get that chemo treatment, and we'll pay mm-hmm. for that chemo treatment uh, deductible so that you can, so that you can continue on and, and, and take care of your family and, and, and feed them and, and pay the electric bill and pay the water bill. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, our our focus this year is really to double down on the on the treatment assistance program. We're not granting out the money to uh, other organizations as much as we used to. We're really mm-hmm. investing in this in this personal uh, patient-centric care mm-hmm. and the navigating of those uh, patients, trying to get them, help them through their journey so that they can uh, make sure that they have every resource available to them and uh, everything that's there to help their journey be a little a little less cumbersome. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what we want to be there for. So we've switched that. We're still putting money into, plenty of money into uh, research because we can never be able to stop this if we don't find a cure. Right. But the thing that right. I, I, you know, I want to, I want to clarify for a lot of listeners, Johnny, is that there's so many people that, you know, have, have said to me, and I mean, I, I get the question on a constant. You put so much money into breast cancer research. Why? Why isn't it figured out yet? Well, mm-hmm. it's a much bigger monster than everybody thinks. Cancer is not one thing. There are many, 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 many types of breast cancer. So we're mm-hmm. fighting the battle on all these various fronts. Um, they've made tremendous inroads with, with research and with therapies. 
I mean, there are metastatic women that are now living 18, 19, 20 years with metastatic breast cancer, which before, if you got a stage four diagnosis, you had a couple of years left, and that was about it. And and that, that's all changed tremendously, and that's all the research and the hard work that's gone into the research that has made that difference with tamoxifen and many other many other drugs that Coleman has, has invested in uh, mm-hmm. and invested in the research to try to, to try to make, uh, uh, the, like I said, the journey, not just for quantity of life, but for quality of life. Right. For quality right. of life, I see. As far as that goes, I mean, what enhances the cancer is the imbalance within our body. So if we are happy, we have that hormones or that chemical within our body that is actually helping too, the natural immune system, so to speak. This is a layman's approach to it. I think if you're depressed, then you're spiraling out of control. It's dis-ease. It's dis-ease. Disease is a, and that's the way I look at it. It's a dis-ease. There's, there's, there's something wrong. Um, and it's, it's a, uh, you know, it, it's what I, I said, like, you know, the, um, the African-American, uh, African-American women die at a rate 40% higher wow. than uh, Caucasian women. And that's just inexcusable. And in L.A. County, it's even higher than that. And uh, so we're really about trying to help disparate communities and, 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 and change the mortality rate. And, right. and we, we know that we're moving the needle because we've, we've been able to uh, work with these communities, you know, increase the, the mammography. And it's not just increasing the mammography, but we're starting to help uh, do a mindset with a lot of women. that It's not that they went in and did one mammogram and then they stopped. They're coming right. back year after year, and that's what needs to happen to make mm-hmm. sure that, I mean, one in eight women get diagnosed with, with breast cancer at some point in their lifetime, honey. One in eight. Mm-hmm. Now, we all know eight women, and you try to look around that room of your eight aunts and your grandmother and your mom and your sisters and your cousins, there could be, there could be 16 or 20 in the room, and you just go, wow, who are the two that are going to get this? Right, right. And when you look at it like that, it's it's a stark reality that it hits everybody. Mm-hmm. It, it it hits everybody's family. I, you you almost have to live under a rock not to know someone that has lived with uh, breast cancer or died from breast cancer and gone through that battle. Because mm-hmm. one in eight women is a big number. That's a big right. number, and that's what we're that's what we're trying to uh, uh, eliminate. Right. That's true. You're right, because in terms of, like, my sister back in Malaysia, she had breast cancer. She's never smoked, eating good food and so forth. I mean, like, before, we can say, oh, well, because you smoke or you did this, you did that. No, I mean, you can live a perfect life, supposedly, and you still get breast cancer. You can still contract it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are things that increase the risk. You know, if you if you right. have poor eating habits, if you don't exercise, right. if you don't, if you're extremely overweight and things like that, those things mm-hmm. all add mm-hmm. to the risk factor, but they're not right. the determining factor. It's right. not like when when somebody has lung cancer from smoking, and you've smoked for many 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 years, you have to know that you've increased your risk a tremendous amount. Right. With breast cancer, I mean, we're we're finding um, women are getting diagnosed younger and younger all the time. And, wow. uh, and, and, and that's distressing. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many women I know that were diagnosed under 30 years old or, or in their early 30s 
uh, and and have have dealt with this while they're raising young children and everything else. You know. Wow. Uh, that's why we we do a a, a community profile every couple of years, mm-hmm. which is kind of mm-hmm. like a, a community assessment that really right. tells us where are we needed, where are we needed the most, and it really hasn't changed that much. It's in it's in uh, challenged communities is where we are needed the most. Um, that's where that's where some of the most aggressive diagnoses come in because mm-hmm. people or women haven't had their mammography done for a couple of years, or they only get it once every five years. And uh, you know that mm-hmm. it's it's just so important that you have that screening done. And that that's what that community profile is. What really shows us wh- where do we need to concentrate? What not only what communities we need to concentrate in as far as ethnic communities, but where is it? Long Beach? Is it? Is it Culver City? Mm-hmm. Is it? Is it yeah. the Valley? Is it up in Lancaster? And we can right. see by the data where we need to spend our time. Your organization, after getting that, I presume, targets select groups in your community, correct? What are the percentages in terms of, you had mentioned about African-American and so forth, and probably, I guess, the Latino community, I would imagine. Yes. Yes. And the, and the Korean community and the Filipino community, mm-hmm. there's, there's mm-hmm. The, other, the other challenge that we have in Los Angeles is there are 200 and some odd languages spoken in wow. LA. Languages and dialects. Sure. So, how many, how many, you know, volunteers and 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 things can I get to, to to do, the information and spread the information in the in the correct languages? We can print it, but that doesn't mean that the uh, the, the the language is getting through to the the women that we need to get it to. So we're always working at working at uh, at trying to expand the uh, the barriers for that. So that we can mm-hmm. educate more and more women on what what it, this is and how to deal with it, and then you have to go through cultural uh, changes and and uh, cultural sensitivities. There are some of the uh, some of the cultures that believe that breast cancer is karma mm-hmm. and that they mm-hmm. shouldn't do anything about it, and that it's living this this life with the the pain and the and the uh, the horror of breast cancer without as much help as possible. So there's all mm-hmm. kinds of barriers that we that we deal with in in specific communities. Very interesting. Do you have the percentage of men battling breast cancer? That's something that we don't talk about, but it's there and it's real. It's there. Yeah, instead of one in eight, it's more like around one in 200, 250 men uh, that, that will get breast cancer. Uh, unfortunately, with many men, because of our uh, our resistance in our uh, macho kind of world, um, mm-hmm. it's oftentimes a later diagnosis uh, mm-hmm. th- than it is with women. Because we'll we'll feel a bump and go out ah, the wild hair under my arm. I'll be fine. But then that bump doesn't go away, and that wild hair doesn't go away. And it's finally you have to you have to be just as conscientious as a man. Uh, with your own body and, um, you know, with, with us with getting prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Men get prostate cancer almost as much as women get breast cancer. It's a hormone-based, uh, uh, yeah. you know, it, it, it's affected by the, the hormones in our body. And mm-hmm. uh, unless you're willing to to know your own body and check yourself out and make sure that you're, you know, if you feel a change in, in something, don't don't shrug it off. Go to a doctor. You know, it's not a it's not a big deal. It's a half a day off work or an hour off work, and and it's worth the 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 effort to go and find out. And and if it's nothing, 
God bless you. But if it is, catch it as early as possible because that's the likelihood and that's where the the cure rate and the and the survival rate comes is in is by early detection. Interesting. Please tell us about some of your engaging programs and activities for the public to raise awareness of the severity issue of breast cancer. Well, we have, we have a lot of uh, educational events. We we uh, we're, we're in the middle of a a month right now of a telethon, so to mm-hmm. speak. We we did a telethon on October third, and we're going to wrap it up with another telethon on October thirty first uh, for all of this month to try to raise a half a million dollars to uh, really put towards this treatment assistance program to help women with their uh, their their current uh, financial crises mm-hmm. and uh, and and to uh, to try to make things a little bit better for them. And then um, we're also doing a metastatic uh, breast cancer conference right now where it's um, 30 days of broadcast information where uh, it, there are researchers, there are panels, there are uh, art therapy, there are, are, are sessions on, on exercise, on yoga, on uh, you know, palliative care, mindfulness, and, uh, and even cooking segments on how to eat healthier um, that are being uh, broadcast every day for the next, for the, throughout this whole month and our uh, metastatic breast cancer conference, you can just go to our website to comanlacounty.org. And if you are stage three or stage four breast cancer, check it out. Because there's some information about uh, trials that you may be able to be involved in and studies that you may be able to be involved in that can maybe make your journey, uh, again, a a little less cumbersome and and help relieve some of the stress in your journey and learn how Mm -hmm. to deal with it. And the other thing is you'll need other women, there are chat groups and things within there that, that you can meet other women that are going through the same diagnosis as you. So you know you're not alone in this. There's a community out there to, to, to help you and, and, uh, and work with you. And that metastatic community is one of the strongest communities that I've ever seen in my life. I presume this is how breast cancer patients become breast cancer warriors. Oh, it is. Um, the, the, the world of breast cancer survivors and breast, breast cancer thrivers that are living with metastatic mm-hmm. disease, number one, it's a sorority nobody wants to belong to. But once you're, part of that, once you're part of that sisterhood, I can tell you as a male sitting back and, and, and viewing it that it is the strongest community of, of individuals together that I think I've ever witnessed in my life. And, and in an impenetrable impenetrable uh community that uh that support each other uh with with absolute verve and uh, and 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 are are there to really to really help each other and take care of each other and be there for each other if they need to have a a, a conversation with someone it's just it's incredible how strong that community is and how dedicated that community winds up being to each mm-hmm. other just knowing that that another woman has gone through what she's gone through and 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 either beat it or even if she winds up being a, a metastatic patient uh and 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 helping them thrive and live to the fullest of their uh capacity and and it's just uh, amazing to to watch uh this group of women that I've gotten to know and more that I get to know every single day and just how strong they are, how strong they are for each other, and mm-hmm. what a force 
they are. You want to problem solve? Send them. Send in a send in a group of survivors and thrivers, <laughs> and you'd be surprised what they could handle. Yeah, so they've already battled. They've already had a. They've already had battled a tremendous battle. Right. And they and they came out on the other end. So true. What are the challenges of breast cancer patients, especially for the ones that just been diagnosed with breast cancer? Yeah, I think it's you know it, it depends on. On, on who you are, having a strong support system is one of the biggest um, biggest challenges. I mean, so many women are fortunate to have decent uh, medical uh, insurance and, and and have a family that's behind them and things, but there are a tremendous amount of women that aren't in that situation, that don't have a strong support system. They don't have all the financial uh, necessity to to get them through this. And yet they can still have younger children and everything else that they're trying to, to take care of. We try to be that support system for them. If we can't be that support system in, in total, then we try to get them to resources that can help be that support system for them. Because uh, having somebody there on those days that you just feel like throwing in the towel is so important. It's so it's so crucial. Uh, and I think that's, the, that's probably the, the, the toughest part. Uh, for breast cancer patients is making sure that that they get through every day and that they get through every day with with someone that that cares for them and loves loves them and 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 can make their life just a little bit easier make their life a little bit better that day even if it's just through some solace and some words mm-hmm. that can be a tremendous assist in somebody who doesn't have somebody else to talk to so true very very true you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, Podchasers, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. My guest is Mark Pilon. He is the Executive Director for Susan G. Coleman's Los Angeles County, California. Since 1995, the Los Angeles County affiliate of Susan G. Coleman has raised over $12 million to provide community-based grants to local organizations offering crucial breast health and breast cancer services and help fund cutting edge breast cancer research. We're having a conversation about his remarkable life's journey, breast cancer and the challenges of breast cancer patients, survivors and metastatic breast cancer thrivers due to COVID-19. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Mark, how has COVID-19 impacted your organization and breast cancer patients? Um, it turned us on our head. It absolutely turned us on our head. Um, we had to address that uh, the things that we were doing weren't taking care of the the, the immediate and basic needs of our, uh, our all the women that we serve, and it had a financial impact on us as well. Because when when you know um, it's not any different than any other any other crises. If you decide whether you're going to uh, feed your kids or give what you used to give to Komen. You're going to feed your children first, and you're going to take care of your own bills and everything else. And so many people right. have been been laid off that it's it's affected our donations and impacted us in a really significant way. Where we are probably 50 to 60 percent, maybe even 70 percent, and sometimes in some areas down in uh, the donations that it takes to to do all the work we're doing. That's why we uh, have kind of backed off on the granting out to other organizations and sure. just taking care of the. Uh, the patients and being very patient centered. It's a it's a tough road right now with that. It's it's a very mm-hmm. tough road with that, Johnny. Um, mm-hmm. And and there's it's not like there's an end date. We don't know the end date. You know. Mm-hmm. So true. So true. 
you personally have an experience with COVID-19. So please share that with us. I did. We waltzed in uh, March and April and May and (laughs) and June. Uh, I wound up in the hospital in March. Uh, I was in ICU with COVID-19. And my wife went into the ICU three days after me because we share everything. So I had brought that home and shared it with her, unfortunately. We were both quite ill. I think it was the sickest that I can remember in my adult uh, life. And um, it was scary. Fortunately, neither of us were intubated. So we weren't on, uh, that didn't happen to us. But um, when my, the day that I was going to go pick my wife up, because I got out of the hospital about five days before, six days before she did, the day that I was going to pick her up, um, I had gotten, I was on the phone with her about 10 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, and uh, she was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to just come home and scrub my hair and take a long, hot shower and, mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. else. And uh, the nurses came in. So I said, okay, I'll call you back in about 15 or 20 minutes. So the nurses had come into her room and were taking care of her. And I called back in 20 minutes and she couldn't speak. She could only moan and groan and kind of wail. Uh, and, and so this is what I'm listening to. And I yelled at my son. I said, come down and talk to mom for a second. And I got on the landline because he was on my cell phone. Mm-hmm. And he's like, mom, stay with me. What's my name? And, and she couldn't answer anything. So I called on the landline. I called over to the ICU desk and I said, Somebody needs to get into room three right now. Mrs. Pilon is in distress. And this very careful young lady said, no, no, we were just in there. She's fine. And I said, I'm telling you, I'm on the phone with her right now. I think she's having a stroke. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, so-and-so's on their break right now. And that's when I lost it. Yeah. And I probably used expletives I shouldn't have used. <laughs> but I said, somebody get in there right now. I said, you've got four minutes. I said, I'm timing you. I'm on the other end of the phone with her. So they, they knew that I was serious. They went in there uh, and... After a few minutes, they said, Mr. Pilon, we need to hang up on you. We need to get her down for a CT scan. They took her down, and they called me back an hour later and said, your wife had a stroke. And I said, I know. She actually had a double stroke. She had one on each side of her brain. Wow. from the blood clots that were caused by the COVID. And we're still dealing with that. She still has some uh, cognitive issues and some uh, speech issues. But she's improved. I, I can't even say how much. Uh, yeah. When she first came home, she couldn't speak that much. And now... And she never, thank God, never lost any of her motor skills. Awesome. So she's been able to walk and, and things like that, but the talking and things. And, and it's almost back to where it was, but there's mm-hmm. still times that she'll be searching for words or she'll call the kids' names out and call out right. the wrong name and, and things like that. But, you know, a lot of it, there's just these random words that jump into her head, and now we just laugh about it. Right, right. You know, we, we, make, we make jokes about it, and we, it's what our new normal is. And yeah. uh, and she will continue. She's working really, really hard to continue to progress uh, mm-hmm. every day. Health-wise, we're both good. Mm-hmm. The COVID mm-hmm. did wind up putting her on oxygen on a permanent basis. So oh, wow. it, 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 changed, it changed that around a little bit. But um, I'm not on oxygen now, and, and, I'm, and I'm doing well. But it was mm-hmm. a really uh, – it was a tough road to hoe. It was a very tough road to go. Mm-hmm. I'm very sorry. My prayers are with you and your family and especially for your wife. If there's only consolation I could say is that I remember one of my ballroom dancing students years ago, and it's just totally different, but she didn't realize that she had a brain tumor. And she was a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army. And uh, 
But anyway, wow. in a nutshell, one day she was at a grocery store and she was starting to cuss like crazy. And she said, that's not me. But anyway, in a nutshell, they found out about it, right? And they took a big chunk of her brain out. And she had problems in terms of, they call it right side, left side of the brain and the right side, left side of your yeah. motor skills. But together, we work in a therapy kind of situation where she's able to dance and move. And if you see her, you don't know that she has a problem at all. And she doesn't. What I'm alluding to is building new neural pathway. And yes. that's what yes. your wife could do, building new neural pathway in terms of the annunciation and the kid's name and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah it takes it, time, it, it, but it, it can it, be done. It, the brain is an amazing, amazing, amazing organ. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just it's just phenomenal what it what it can what it can do. And she's like I said, she's she's come along beautifully, mm-hmm. uh, physically and just from a health standpoint, we're both good. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate I appreciate the prayers because uh, I could always use them. We all can. Yeah, yeah, sure, certainly. In introspection, what was the most rewarding experience for you thus far since becoming the executive director for the Susan G. Komen LA County affiliate? I think the thing that uh, has been the most rewarding experience is knowing that we've moved the needle. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. that we've, we've improved the, the mortality rate some in Los Angeles County with all the work that we've done, along with other breast cancer organizations. But we're starting to make some inroads, and that's, that's gratifying for me. And then the other gratifying thing is, uh, is seeing women that I know get over and through this and, and beyond this that we've been able to help. That's that's just, I can't even tell you how good it feels to walk yeah. up to somebody and know that they truly, they appreciate you and you still appreciate them just for being here and, and, and making the the journey and, and, and living through the journey. Mm-hmm. But that's the most rewarding part for me. I imagine that's very important too because, I mean, you are dealing with difficult circumstances. It's what keeps me going. Yeah. That's what keeps me going. So true. What can the listeners do to support and promote breast cancer awareness? Well, you can uh, consider a gift. That's always a wonderful way uh, (laughs) to support us and and things like that. But I I think, you know, all the the women in your life, whether you're a a man or or a woman, Mm -hmm. um, encourage women in your life that are over 40 to go and get their mammogram. You know, your daughters, mm-hmm. your, your, your granddaughters, when they get to that age, encourage them to, to, to do this and, uh, and support each other and, and uh, you know, really, really make it uh, a normal part of your year and your, your checkup so that you never wind up getting to the point where you're so advanced uh, in, a, in a diagnosis that, that you can't turn it around, where early detection is still, early detection is the key to a cure. Uh, mm-hmm. for, for many, many women, and not, not for all women. There's women that have had mastectomies at stage one, and then 10 years later it came back at stage sure, two. And sure. So there's, yeah. there's no guarantee in life, but the early detection is one of the most important things. So I know, agree with that. Uh, yeah. And be aware. Just be aware. Women, be aware of your, your breast health. Be aware of what's your, when there's changes in your, in your breast, have, them, have it checked. Just mm-hmm. have it checked. Don't put it on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can you can go and find out about uh, us 
and, and make those donations and things by just going to our website, which is comanlacounty.org. Comanlacounty.org. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have all kinds of resource information there. You can find out about that circle of promise that we have for the African-American initiative. You can find out where to uh, where we might be helping sponsor uh, mammography or clinics that you can go to. Uh, you can find out about the Every Woman Counts program, which is a California program that says every woman over 40 has the right to have a mammogram no matter whether they have the money or not. Mm-hmm. And Every Woman Counts is the organization or the, the, the branch of the government that takes care of that for you. So there is no excuse. There is no excuse. You, you don't have to be able to afford uh, a mammogram. You can get one. And mm-hmm. the state is there to provide one for you. That that's that's vitally important. ComanLACounty.org. Wonderful. And I presume that website does also give them other opportunities to donate, not necessarily just money, but time as well. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. You can you can donate uh, time, talent, and treasure is what it's uh, referred to. <laughs> time, talent, and treasure. There you go. Beautiful. My personal experience with my sister had conquered basically breast cancer thus far. And you're right, because like she only found out, I mean, she's never overweight. She's always slim in good shape. And it was through her normal annual checkup that they found out. Yeah. So it's amazing. Yeah. And there are, there are women I know that had their mammogram in March and in June they were diagnosed mm-hmm. after they had a clear mammogram. So it's just really because something changed in their body and they went back and, and it's right. that somebody examine them again. You have to be your own advocate for help. You right. have to be a strong advocate for yourself and make sure that uh, folks know that you're, you're there and you're going to be listened to. At the very least, that once a year physical gives you that timeline. It's no more than 12 months. I mean, it's something will happen within the 12 months. At least you catch it, at the very least. Exactly. Women and men both, especially mm-hmm. men after they're over 50. We have to have that... Uh, that prostate health check and things. Everybody's got things, you know, as we get older, that's the, what are the, the basic causes of breast cancer are A, you're a woman, B, you're getting older. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are the basic causes. I, well, that's the honest to God's truth, and it's the same with uh, prostate cancer for men. Yeah. Men get prostate cancer because we're men and because we're getting yeah. older. Yeah. Your body goes through changes, and you just have to have those changes checked out. So true. So what's next for you guys out in L.A.? Um, well, we are uh, we're condensing our offices and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and cutting back on, on how we're, we're doing business. Um, we're going to move out of our big office and move mm-hmm. down to a smaller office. We had to have some uh, changes in our staffing. And uh, some of my, my staff became national employees. Uh, mm-hmm. Because they did such a good job, they hired them at at, uh, at headquarters, mm-hmm. and uh, we're just going to really, really concentrate on this TAP program and on the treatment assistance program. And then uh, the big deal for me is on uh, October 31st, we have the uh, the, the wrap up party for the uh, telephone and do another one hour telephone on the 31st. And it's great entertainment. It's some nice celebrities and uh, wonderful stories from women that are survivors. And uh, metastatic survivors as well, and, and uh, women living with breast cancer every day. And uh, uh, an interview with a gentleman that's had breast cancer. So mm-hmm. men can look at this and say, oh, it, it can happen to any one of us. So right. that's what's, uh, what's kind of next. 
for me, I'm just going to keep working until they carry me out in the box because I love what I get to do. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about the mastetic breast cancer drivers, though. I think that's really the highlight in terms of, hey, this is all about going forward in life and being very proactive, being very decisive. Well, they, women only die from breast cancer because they're metastatic, because they're stage four. Mm-hmm. Other than that, women don't die from breast cancer. So mm-hmm. it's they they are in a, a different kind of a fight than just going through an occurrence. Mm-hmm. They are living with breast cancer every day of their life. They will be going through treatments. They will be going through various therapies and stuff the rest of their life. And so it's a it's a it takes a, a tenacity and a and a strength and a determination that uh, very few of us have. Mm-hmm. That's part of that sisterhood that I was I was talking to you about. But we have a wonderful yeah. metastatic breast cancer conference going on right now. And you can go to comanalecani.org and uh, click on the uh, the uh, the great big window that comes up for metastatic and register for it. And go and listen to all these wonderful things. And even if you're not a metastatic patient, there might be some, some great tips and things in there on just how to better care for yourself and how right. to... How to improve your your health and 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 your mindfulness and your your the stress in your life and things like that. It's a wonderful wonderful conference. We're doing it in conjunction with New York, so mm-hmm. it's a coast to coast conference. Fantastic, that's wonderful. As we close this hour, since our show is about people living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Um, take a really really uh, healthy dose of of love and and fill the bowl the rest of the way with caring and serving and then mix it and it'll never be done but you can mix it and mix it and mix it and taste it and consume it till the day that you die just loving caring and serving think of others think of others first think of others before you and and what others what you can do for others there's no more gratifying uh, meal, I think, to, to consume than knowing that you've you've served and you've served somebody else and and made their life a little bit easier. Fantastic, that's wonderful, Mark. Thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on from my Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, October twentieth. My guest will be Dr. Draven James. She is the founder of Everyday Peace the host of Everyday Peace on Unity Radio, a life coach, and author of Freedom is Your Birthright. Dr. Dravon and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her book, Freedom is Your Birthright. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Mark, it has been a true pleasure, sir. Thank you again and have a very blessed day. Thank you, Johnny. Same to you. Thank you. Bye-bye.